Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome. Chapter 99. A Terrible Rumour Has Come from the West. Before I start, please remember that this podcast is a member of the History Podcasters Network. Please go to www.historypodcasters.com where you'll find a directory of some other really great history podcasts and the links to the History Podcast collage. That really is well worth a listen. So, on with the episode. Theodosius the Great was not quite 48 years old, as 394 turned into 395. He was tall and elegant, with a full head of blonde hair. As strong and capable a ruler as Rome had known for many good years, he would sometimes give harsh judgments, but he was compassionate and often showed great mercy and cancelled punishments soon after ordering them. Adrianople had become a distant memory. The barbarians were settled and peaceful, and the people of the empire were just beginning to breathe a bit more easily. And then Theodosius went and died on them. A number of emperors have died too young and at inconvenient times. Titus may have been a great emperor if he'd lived. If Marcus Aurelius had hung around a bit longer, maybe Commodus would not have been so bad. The death of Theodosius, though, had a much worse effect on the future of the empire. It resulted in the accession of two complete idiots to the eastern and western thrones at the same time. Theodosius had ruled the empire very well for 16 years. His various sons and grandsons would be emperors for the next 60, and not a single one of them would show any aptitude for the task. None at all. Flavius Arcadius had been born in 377, and Flavius Sonorius in 384. Neither of them inherited their father's strength of character or his brains. Arcadius was 18 when he came to the throne, and was already showing himself to be weak and a bit thick. Honorius was just 10, and hadn't had time to show whether he was any use or not. He eventually managed to hang around long enough, though, to prove that he was definitely not. Theodosius had left his best general, the Vandal Stilicho, to be the protector of Honorius. Stilicho claimed that he had been charged with looking after both of the sons of the dead emperor, but he remained in the west, and Arcadius quickly fell under the spell of his Praetorian prefect, a man named Rufinus. Stilicho had the title Count and Master of All Soldiers, a title which seems to have been made just for him, as no one had held it before, and no one ever did again. So, which of the useless sons of Theodosius shall we follow first? Now, let's see how Arcadius gets on in his first few years. After all, he's the oldest, and also, if possible, is slightly more useless than his little brother, although there really isn't much in it. Arcadius was in Constantinople when Theodosius died. He was a small, thin chap with darkish skin and a mild temperament. He was kind, polite, a good Christian, and a very weak man. Rufinus, who we think was the man who persuaded Theodosius to carry out the massacre at Thessalonica, quickly started to influence the weak and small-brained emperor he planned to get Arcadius to marry his daughter. He had a rival at the court in Constantinople, though, a bold, ugly old man called Eutropius. The old man thought that if the emperor married Rufinus's daughter, then Rufinus may end up as the next emperor, and that would result in Eutropius's head being rammed on a spike. When Rufinus was away, Eutropius introduced Arcadius to a startlingly beautiful girl called Eudoxia. The dim-witted emperor fell madly in love and by the time Rufinus returned, they were engaged to be married. Rufinus was very annoyed. Later in 395, the Goths rebelled yet again. They were led by a fine young general by the name of Alaric, 
only 25 years old, but already a great commander. He had fought for Theodosius at the Battle of the River Frigidus, but now, probably because he spotted great weakness in the two new emperors, he rose up in revolt and started to plunder the Thracian and Macedonian countryside. Arcadius ordered Stilicho to come east with the eastern armies that his father had taken west to defeat Arbogast. Stilicho travelled east, but Arcadius, probably influenced by Rufinus, soon ordered him to turn back again with the western legions and let the eastern army come along without him. Stilicho was very angry, but this time he did as he was told. In 396, though, Stilicho decided to come east and deal with the Gothic threat. He marched into Macedonia with loads of barbarian allies. Alaric was forced to flee to Epirus. Stilicho had the Gothic king at his mercy, but very surprisingly, he let him go. Maybe they'd done a secret deal, who knows. Either way, Alaric survived to fight another day, and a few years later, he would inflict one of the worst days on the empire. The army of the east, now under the command of the barbarian general Gainus, arrived in Constantinople and stopped outside the Golden Gate. Arcadius made one of his very few journeys outside the city walls and met the army with Rufinus at his side. Rufinus walked among the troops, gathering support, chatting and joking with them. Too late, he noticed they were closing in around him. Slowly, he began to realise what was happening, but by then, it was much, much too late. A few moments later, he was dead at their feet. Arcadius didn't seem too bothered, and Eutropius was delighted. He persuaded Arcadius that Stilicho had been responsible for the troops murdering Rufinus, and Arcadius declared Stilicho an enemy of the state. So, the Eastern Emperor has declared the protector of the Western Emperor an enemy of the state. There does not seem to be too much chance of a united empire now. And the East and the West did not start getting on any better. In 397, there was a rebellion in North Africa. This was a bit different from normal rebellions, though. Normally, somebody rebels against the empire. This time, the rebel, a man appointed by Theodosius called Gildo, simply declared that his province, which was part of the Western Empire, was now part of the Eastern Empire instead. This was a disaster for the West, as most of the grain supplies for Italy came from Africa. Stilicho reacted straight away. He sent Gildo's brother, a man called Mazizel, who couldn't stand his brother, to put down the rebellion. Masizel sailed to Africa and defeated Gildo. Order was restored, but the Eastern and Western empires were now definitely not on friendly terms. In the East, Eutropius won a victory over the Huns and was rewarded by being named consul in 399. But now someone else was becoming an even greater influence on the weak-willed Eastern emperor. The emperor's wife, Eudoxia, persuaded him to sack Eutropius. Arcadius duly fired the old man, who took refuge in the Hagia Sophia and was then exiled to Cyprus. Not long after, he was recalled and executed. The death of Eutropius created a serious crisis. Gainus, who had wanted the top job for years, now tried to force the hand of Arcadius. He moved from Thrace towards Constantinople in 400. With the Germanic troops supporting him, Gainus tried for six months to get control, including seizing the imperial palace which you can't imagine happening if anyone decent was in charge. But he failed. He was forced to leave the city to regroup, but he planned to use the troops still in the capital to seize the entire city. But the troops were slaughtered by the inhabitants, and Gainus fled first to Thrace and then to Asia. Gainus was killed by the Huns later in that year. Germanic barbarian officers would never be trusted in Constantinople again. 
Eudoxia was now the real power in the East. She had five children, including in 401, a son who would become the Emperor Theodosius II. Arcadius was just content to show what a good Christian he was, and not really interested in the Empire at all. Eudoxia was constantly battling with the Bishop of Constantinople, St John Chrysostom. She twice had him exiled, but the first time there was an earthquake in Constantinople, and the second time the Hagia Sophia burned down. It seemed that God was on the side of the bishop. And making sure people knew whose side God was on, Eudoxia died a few months later. A few years after the death of his wife, Flavius Arcadius also died, aged just 31, having reigned for 13 years. A lot of important things happened during his reign, but he wasn't responsible for any of them. It was almost like he wasn't there, and he may as well not have been. His seven-year-old son assumed the purple. We'll come back and see the new emperor in the next chapter. In the west, things were no better. Alaric and the Goths had hung around in Illyricum for a while, but in 401 headed for Italy. Maybe Alaric thought Stilicho would welcome him and his soldiers. Maybe he thought he could find a permanent home for his people. Maybe he was just bored. Whatever the reason, he arrived in northern Italy and was told he wasn't welcome. Nope, he could take his people and just go back to the east. Alaric wasn't having any of this, and his army invaded Italy and laid siege to Milan, the capital of the west. Honorius was terrified. Stilicho returned from defeating barbarians on the Rhine and fought two big battles against the Goths. He managed to capture Alaric's wife and children. Again, though, he let the Gothic leader and his people go. By 405, Stilicho and Alaric had made up, and Alaric was appointed as Magister Militum in Illyricum, even though this was really part of the Eastern Empire. Of course, the Eastern Empire didn't agree, and relations between East and West got worse again. Britain, meanwhile, was descending into chaos. A revolt led by a man called Constantine succeeded in taking over the province, and soon the rebels had crossed the Channel and controlled most of Gaul and Spain. He sent envoys to Honorius, demanding recognition. Honorius moved his capital to Ravenna, which was easier to defend than Milan. His father had led many armies into battle. Honorius stayed where it was safe and let his generals do all the work. It is said that he liked to breed chickens. This would certainly not have been as hard work as governing an empire, and was probably all that Honorius was fit for. Worse was to come. In 406 the winter was colder than anyone could remember. The Great Rhine River froze, and German barbarians flooded into the empire. Hordes and hordes of Vandals, Suevi, Alans and others streamed in and plundered, stole and murdered at will. The northern usurper Constantine, who was soon calling himself Constantine III, defeated some, but many barbarians stayed inside the empire. Stilicho decided that Constantine III was a bigger threat than the Germans. He persuaded Alaric to fight with him against the rebels and agreed to pay the Gothic leader a big pile of gold. He tried to get the cash from the senators of Rome, but they weren't too keen on paying. Pay they did, though, and many temples and works of art were stripped of gold to make sure there was enough. All this made Stilicho very unpopular. Honorius was getting a bit fed up with not being allowed to rule, even though everything would quickly have got much worse if Honorius had actually been in charge. One of his advisers, the minister Olympius, began to whisper that Stilicho was secretly on Alaric's side, and after all he'd let him go twice and paid him loads of gold. Soon after Arcadius died, Honorius ordered Stilicho's arrest. Stilicho, a brave and dutiful man, gave himself up. He was promised he wouldn't be harmed. He was harmed. He was harmed a lot. 
He was harmed about as badly as it is possible to be harmed, as he was promptly executed. Without Theodosius's best general to fight for it, Honorius's Western Empire began to collapse. That administrator, Olympus, now took Stilicho's place as the man closest to the Western Emperor. Olympius was not a great deal more use than his master, and together they made the situation with Alaric infinitely worse. Now that the Vandal general was gone, the hatred that the Roman people of the Empire felt for the barbarians welled up, and many Vandal, Frankish and Gothic auxiliary troops were slaughtered. The imperial leadership did nothing to stop this, and a large number of men went over to the side of Alaric. Alaric knew his time had come. The people that he had led for the last ten years wanted a home, and they wanted a home in the Empire. It's around this time we come to see these Goths as a slightly different tribe from the Goths left on the other side of the Danube. Those Goths, who will play a large part in the eventual downfall of Rome, became known as the Eastern Goths, or Ostrogoths. The people led by Alaric are known as the Western Goths, or Visigoths. Even though he wanted a home for his people, Alaric was an honourable man who believed in the Empire and its rules. He was a Goth, but he was a Roman Goth. He wanted his people to have the benefits of living in the Roman Empire. He didn't want to destroy it. Honorius and Olympius, hidden away in Ravenna, didn't understand this and were too stupid to negotiate with the Visigoths and find a compromise. Alaric drew up all of his forces and marched on Rome. In 408, he arrived outside the walls and besieged the city. It became depressingly clear that the Emperor was quite content to remain safely in Ravenna and not lift a finger to help. The poor citizens of Rome eventually persuaded the Visigoths to leave them unharmed in return for giving them vast quantities of gold, silver, silks, spices and pepper, which were all very valuable items in the Roman world. The Visigoths left, but it didn't solve the problem. Alaric wanted a homeland for his people inside the Empire. Alaric asked for his homeland. Honorius said no. Alaric then asked for Venetia, Dalmatia and Noricum to settle in. Honorius said no. Alaric then asked for just Noricum. Honorius said no. Alaric asked for a small garden for his 200,000 people to live in. Honorius said no. Well, no, Alaric didn't really ask for a small garden, but he may as well have done. Whatever he asked for, Honorius would have said no. That's just the way he was. When the son of Theodosius needed to be brave and strong, he was weak and cowardly. When he needed to be sensible and show a bit of give and take, he was stubborn and bossy. Alaric had just about had enough. He marched on Rome again and seized the port city of Portus, which supplied Rome with grain shipped in from North Africa. The Romans were scared and tired of all these sieges and gave up immediately. The Senate allowed Alaric to declare Priscus Attalus, a Greek who was prefect of the city, Augustus. Attalus immediately appointed Alaric as his magister militum and they marched on Ravenna. Honorius, though, had two lucky breaks. First, the governor of Africa, Heraclian, declared his support for the true emperor. Africa supplied Italy with grain, and without it, Alaric couldn't hope to control the rest of the empire. Second, some troops sent by the advisers of Theodosius II arrived from the Eastern Empire to help. Alaric got fed up with Attalus and deposed him, although they remained friends. Alaric marched back up to northern Italy and camped outside Ravenna. He tried to start negotiating again. Unfortunately, one of Honorius's generals launched a quick surprise attack on the Visigoths, and just like at Adrianople, the time for talking was over. Alaric had by now not just about had enough. He had had many, many buckets more than enough. He marched on Rome for the third time, and this time he was determined to show no mercy whatsoever. 
On the night of the 23rd, 24th of August, 410, the Visigoths entered Rome. They were probably let in by disgruntled slaves. They would never have got through the huge walls without a very long siege. They proceeded to carry out a three-day sack of the Eternal City. They plundered and burned, they stole and they killed. Alaric had ordered that all the churches and priests were to be left alone and unharmed. The Visigoth mob was quite organised and they stuck to this order. It was not the worst sack that a city had ever experienced, but it was still a sack. And it was Rome. Rome. The Roman world couldn't believe it. St Jerome, writing from Bethlehem, said what everyone felt. A dreadful rumour has come from the west. It is the end of the world. I can't write for tears. The city which had taken the whole world was itself taken. The empire had a very small piece of luck soon after the sack. As Alaric was resting in Cosenza, he became very ill with a fever and soon died aged just 40. Legend has it that a river was dammed and Alaric was buried with vast treasures in the riverbed. When the burial was complete, the dam was broken and the rushing waters covered the king and his plunder forever. The slaves who carried out the task were all killed, so nobody would know where Alaric, king of the Visigoths, was buried. To this day, nobody has ever found his tomb. Honorius himself, when he heard that Rome had been sacked, didn't really understand the message. When the messenger gave him the dreadful news, he said, And yet it has just eaten from my hands. When it was explained to him the Eternal City had been sacked, he almost looked relieved. But I, my good fellow, thought that my chicken Roma had perished. So, the Emperor of the Western Roman Empire has just confused the destruction of the ancient capital with the death of a chicken. Is it any wonder that it just gets worse from here? And next time, we will see it get worse. If you're enjoying the podcast, please go to www.mythandhistory.podbean.com. There you will find a donation button and also an area where you can support me by crowdfunding. The podcast is and will always remain free, but any donations through either of these routes are, of course, most welcome. So, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.